This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, we needed 24 hours. We needed 24 hours to digest, 25 hours to cry, 24 hours to, I would say, get over it, but you never get over these kinds of losses. A brutal game one loss to the Boston Celtics. We all know what happened. Jason Tatum spins around Kyrie Irving. Mike Breen screams, they're going to wave it off. Meanwhile, they're not going to wave it off. And we lose at the buzzer to the Boston Celtics. Uh, we're recording this, I would say, about a little more than 24 hours after the game. We're recording this Monday night. Are you feeling any better, Mike Biseglia? As the day went on, Evan, I started to feel worse and worse. When the game ended initially, shock, all, all the awful things. And then I was like, oh, we're going to get back. I'm ready for game two. We're going to get him back. And then today, I had the opposite feeling where I just have felt depressed about it all day, sad about it. And just this realization in my head of this feeling that prisoner of the moment that this team is screwed. They blew it. There's nothing they can do about it. I am trying to remind myself that was just one game and that game two is Wednesday, but there's nothing that can be done to make me feel better until unless they if they can go out and win Wednesday if not this this is just going to linger here for a long time well before we get into what the hell happened uh, a little bit of a breakdown of game one looking ahead to game two emotionally I watched this game the entire game with my five-year-old son who has really gotten into the nets oh. you know as much as a five-year-old can you know he pretends he's Kevin Durant. He loves Andre Drummond. We play our own kind of basketball. And because it was a 3.30 tip, he wanted to sit next to me the entire time and would ask me tons of questions as the game went on. And I I remained as calm as I could because and I want to support my son's love of basketball. And as the game ended, he was asking me, did we lose, Dad? Did we lose? What happened, Dad? What happened, Dad? And I love my son. So I've got to calmly <laughs> tell him what the hell happened. And then we quickly go oh. downstairs from where we were watching the game to eat dinner. And he is now telling Abuela and Abuela and mom and his little baby brother. Hey, guys, the Nets lost. It was really bad. Hey, guys, the Nets lost. It was really bad. So imagine yeah. experiencing it over and over again as my five-year-old is repeating we lost we lost we lost as opposed to just moving on and trying to forget about it eating a chicken parm dinner i got my son repeating over and yeah. over again we lost it was really bad abuelo 
the Nets lost. And my, my, my wife is trying to remind them like, Jet, we get it. They lost. Okay. They lost. So emotionally well, it was, uh, it was tough hearing about it over and over again. I got to tell you. Well, for your son, that has to be in the Mount Rushmore of bad losses as an Nets fan. <laughs> I mean, that's gotta be up there. I don't know how, I don't know at four years old, if he could remember, Last season's game seven versus the Bucks. Was it any therapeutic, though, to see your son kind of being like, this is kind of cute and or was it torture? So the way I would say that is it is therapeutic to realize and remind yourself that it is only sports. So I think having your son nearby is like a very quick reminder of this sucks. It's going to live with you forever. But I got my five year old who loves it and he's innocent and. I think that helps a little bit, to be honest with you, because it's just you got to remind yourself as, as serious as we take all this, it is just sports. So I think him being nearby was a reminder of that. I'm going to take him to game three uh, in Brooklyn. So, you know, I'm fully throwing him into it only because he's so into it. Like, yeah, I think when you have kids in sports, you show them what you love and then it's kind of up to them to see how much they want to embrace it. And he's fully embraced it. Um, the, the thing, I don't know if you felt this way. And I talked a little bit about this on the show with Craig on Monday. I keep hearing Mike Breen in my head say they're hmm. waving it off. And even though logically they were never waving it off because we're, we watched it, clearly Tatum got the shot off before it hit zero. I keep hearing that in my head thinking, oh my God, they're going to wave it off. Oh my God, this dreadful moment for like five seconds is actually going to go away. Did you hear Breen say that? And did you think what I was thinking? I heard him say it, and then they showed it, and it clearly, but whatever, he got it off like 0. 0.6 or 0.5. I heard him say that, and I said, there's no way he's right. Like, I was so convinced watching that in real time that he was wrong. So I never, it, it has not replayed in my head. I have not done that. I have not been like that glimmer of hope for a second I had to rewatch it and I did it earlier today because I, I, I mean this, I did not know what happened. I like blanked on what happened between the easy Jalen Brown layup, which was pathetic oh. defense there, which was the, the root of all of this. And then of course the Tatum uh, layup to win the game. I forgot the play in the middle because I was so stunned. I legit went back and said, I don't know who took that shot. And I had to see it again. I could not remember. I've never had that happen before where I just was so frustrated with that final play. It all went right. blank. Well, uh, okay. So before we even go back to the beginning of this game, let's go back to those final three possessions of this game. Kyrie hits the three. They go up by three. The Celtics take a timeout. And you're right. Out of that timeout, Jalen Brown just basically physically abused oh. Bruce Brown. He may have pushed off a little bit. They're not going to make that call. They attacked him. And it took how many seconds before the Celtics cut it to one. But here's my reaction. There's 38 seconds left in this game. You've got about a 14-second difference shot to game. My initial reaction is you've got to attack. You've got to essentially play a two-for-one. And the reason I say that is because if you go two-for-one, you don't score. Same thing happens. Celtics take the lead. You call a timeout. You down one, you've got the ball and you've got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant on the floor. And it's one of my bugaboos, like late in the game. If I have a lead, I want to ensure that even in the worst possible situation, which is I miss a shot, they grab a rebound, 
they score, I'm going to get one more opportunity. And so that possession, even before Kevin Durant had to force a contested shot and great defense by Jason Tatum. I mean, look, Jason Tatum played an outstanding game. And I'm not just talking about what he did offensively. His defense was incredible, especially on that final possession on KD. But even before you get to what was a very contested off-balance shot of prayer by Kevin Durant, of course, the Nets have no chance to grab an offensive rebound. I wanted to attack earlier in the clock. I think, A, you get a better shot by attacking earlier in the clock, and B, you ensure yourselves in a worst-case scenario you get the ball with five seconds to go down a point. So right from that moment, from Jalen Brown attacking Bruce Brown, fine. You've got a 14-second different shot to game. You don't even have to rush it to get a good shot off and at least ensure another possession. That pissed me off, man. Uh, that would that doesn't bother me as much. To me, it's more of just the lack of the play that they had at the end where it's Kyrie dribbling, and he was so brilliant, so I understand it. And then getting getting attacked defensively and having to kick to Durant who had that tough shot. I see where you're coming from with this whole scenario thing, but if you just execute and have a good offensive play and do what you need to do down the stretch, the game is over. Yeah, but there was no offensive it. play. Dude, the offensive play it. was Kyrie Irving dribble, 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 dribble. Goran Dragic is wide open. He doesn't even look for him. Then he gets it off to Durant where Durant's got nothing. He's just got to throw something up. Well, I mean, clearly it didn't work. The Nets didn't win and everything went kaboom. It didn't work at all. It was bad. But if you're going to go up there and rush, like, could go up there, take that early shot. Now there's 20 something Celtics, 27, 20 something seconds left, and Boston has the ball and they're down. Like, you know, who, who doesn't say Boston gets another offensive rebound? I think there's so many factors there that would happen, and it didn't work. And it went down to this crazy great pass by Marcus Smart with a split second play, but just just execute better and get the win, you know, and not not have to try to overthink all of this stuff and just go down there and make plays. You've got, you've got two superstar players on the team. They failed. They failed in the big moments and the Celtics achieved. I mean, and that's, that's the difference, right? The two Celtic stars, basket, 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 defense, basket, the nets, bad defense, bad offense, Bad defense. I also think, though, you're getting a better shot when you don't just dribble out the clock. And that's essentially what they did. Whenever you dribble out the clock like that, 90% of the time, it ends up with just a forced contested prayer. And look, maybe it goes down because Kevin Durant's a great player, or if Kyrie takes the shot, maybe it goes down because Kyrie's a great player. But I also think that when you attack earlier, and it's not rushing, you know, rushing would be there's 29 seconds left and there's a four to five second different shot to game. That would be rushing. That would be your, you know, typical two for one where you take a quick pull up three just so you can get an extra possession. This is more attack earlier and they just didn't do it. And as soon as Udoka didn't call the timeout, which I thought was a great move. I mean, absolutely let it play out because you can see what would happen defensively. Kevin Durant gets completely lost. He gets caught watching the ball, loses track of Jason Tatum. And if you make smart plays, and you're right, Marcus Smart made the play because with two seconds to go, I thought, oh man, he's going to force yeah. a shot up now. He had the patience to find Jason Tatum. And that to Tatum's credit, he does the spin move as opposed to kind of barreling into Kyrie Irving, Damn. which could have been a charge, a no call, uh, a blocking. God knows what the hell happens. He just spins right past them and we get just this horrific breakdown at the end of the game. Oh, God. Ah, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I had these moments today where I was like feeling good. And then you, you kind of just 
think back to it and it's harder for you because you're you're on the air talking about it for five hours where I'm I'm not but like in my head I'll be doing something being good and then it just jumps in my head and I just relive that spin over and over again from Tatum and the moment that went in I just looked at my wife and I said this is a bad one <laughs> I was like this is this is a bad one and just kind of walked away and uh tried to just kind of put it out of mind and then just could not stop thinking about it nonstop. And just the, the opportunity that the Nets had to go into Boston, take game one after being down 11, 12, 13 points, coming back with that strong fourth quarter, getting an all time type performance from Kyrie Irving, who was absolutely brilliant in the fourth quarter and then losing it at the very last second and seeing the series spiral in your head is just, it's so frustrating. Like if the Nets lost by 11 and they never made that run and it was like, ah, we could play better, you'd, you'd, you'd feel better than what happened because yeah. it was so damn heartbreaking to lose in that fashion and say, how do we regroup and get this done on Wednesday? Well, you, you'd have to think with a veteran team like this, with guys that have won before, that they're not going to let a game one loss completely let them unravel. I mean, that a game one loss in round one can't be a game that you let completely spiral out of control. Uh, so you have to trust with the veterans on this team that that's not going to be what happens here. And and look, I, I know you and I and anyone who's a, a diehard New Jersey Net fan thinks back to game three of 2002. It's the 20 year anniversary of that Eastern Conference Finals. And and to me, that that will always be up there as one of the most painful losses when they blow a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter against the Celtics. But the beauty of that series and that game and that memory is that they responded with three straight wins. So I know we always talked about doing a podcast about the worst losses. Did we ever do that podcast we, about we the did, worst losses? We did do it. Mm -hmm. We did. <laughs> so we did discuss it. We did do it. And, we, and we that, have, yeah. And that loss is so complicated because in the moment, there's nothing worse. Game three in Boston, you blow a 21-point lead. But we later find out that that game, in a way, galvanized them. They won the next three. They won the Eastern Conference. So this is one of those games where it's all going to be about what happens next. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but what if the Nets responded with the next four games? Or of and course. We'll look back at this game and kind of laugh, but if it does turn into a spiral and they lose game two and we're always playing catch up in this series and we never win this series, then yeah, this is going to be the game we look back on and say, Oh my God, what a freaking missed opportunity. Yeah. And in that series in 2002, it was the Nets ability to get the win on the road in game four, bring it back to Jersey and ultimately win in six. Like you said. So for me pointing what you kind of pointed out before is does this team have a spine? Do they respond? Do they win? Because all regular season, they had putrid losses that were just daggers. But you were like, it's just the regular season. It doesn't really, it impacts because right. we're fighting for playoff seed, but not like this where Boston's, you know, first team to four, huge difference. The Bucks loss was just terrible to, off the top of my head. And it never seemed like they got that galvanized moment. They had the nice winning streak to end, it, end the year to get to the seventh spot. And I talked about this with you on a previous episode. If they could get through round one, they would grow up and that would be like their regular season. We're in it now. So this is a microcosm of this little mini regular season for them. They're growing up. Do they go one way and say, you know, bleep this. We're going to beat the freaking, we're going to beat the, the freaking Celtics. We're going to get this together. Or do they crumble and do they go in the other direction? Or is it somewhere in the middle? I want to see how this team responds game two, 
first quarter. Do you, do you let the momentum come out and the Celtics are up 31 to 22 going into the second? Or do the Nets come out, show something different, show something to get Kevin Durant going and have a 28-22 lead and you go, all right, that crap's behind us. Let's move forward. Let's get this done. A couple of things also from this game. Nicholas Claxton misses two free throws with two and a half minutes to go in a tie game. That was a killer. And then, and I know it's easy to go back because in the course of an NBA game where over 200 points are scored, you can easily go I know the to play. an individual moment or individual play. But during that just debacle of an early third quarter, when Kyrie Irving is trying to inbound the basketball underneath the basket and no one is in the backcourt to help and he has to force it and it's picked off by, I think it was Marcus Smart, who then jams at home. I think it put up Boston by six or eight at the time. That's the kind of lazy brain dead play that we saw a little bit throughout this game. And yes. we certainly saw throughout the regular season. They did this so many times throughout the regular season. Not, not to that extent where it got that bad, where Kyrie Irving with clock was ticking at five and he had to throw it away. But I can't tell you how many times I saw Nick Claxton or Andre Drummond of late having to yell down the court, like ball, ball, ball. I don't, how is a professional NBA team at this level have that? I get it. It's going to happen but that I have seen it probably half a dozen times in the last 20 games is remar remarkable. And I think at that point, Kyrie, it's, it's as much as it sucks, you just got to call a timeout because you can not lose. Those points are so precious. And as you said, like the Nets lose by one, that's a dunk that was two points. You, you got to just call the timeout well, and say, we blow, we, we lose. It, it sucked. We didn't, we didn't execute here, but we can't, can't just give him a layup. It's not even just the two points. Because like I said, you can go through this entire game. You can find Miss Celtic layups if you want or Miss open threes or whatever you want to find and say that's the difference in the game. I think what really pisses me off is this team has an arrogance to it. This team has had an arrogance to them throughout the regular season. And we've sort of brushed it apart and said, ah, let's see what happens in the playoffs. Over the course of this game one, over 48 minutes, we saw that arrogance. They came out. They were sloppy as hell. We saw them come out in the third quarter, sloppy as hell, to which they fall down by 15. We saw them kind of play very blah defense at times. We saw a lack of urgency. And to see something like that in game one of the postseason, even Goran Dragic called his teammates out on that. There's an arrogance to this team that, I don't know, it's a part of why I don't trust them. You know, as great of a player as KD is, even though he was off in game one, as great of a player as Kyrie Irving is, there's an arrogance to this team that we saw throughout the regular season, and it, it, it showed its ugly head in game one of the playoffs. And if there was ever a time for those mistakes to not happen because of the urgency in the moment, you would think it's game one on the road against the Boston Celtics, and it popped up, whether it was in the third quarter, whether it was early in this game in which they were turning the ball over at will. And look, is some of it the tenacious Celtic defense? Yes, we have to give credit to the opponent. I acknowledge that, but some of it was their own doing. Some of it was that sloppiness that we've seen throughout this regular season. I don't know why they have it. It is it is completely frustrating. I'm with you. I mean, look at the fourth quarter. The Nets only give up 19 points. They put in all this defensive effort. They get back into this game. They actually take a five-point lead, I believe, with an opportunity to make it seven, but I think it was like a Durant missed jumper. And then, and then it comes down to the end where it's the same story of arrogance early. Here they go trying to fight. They take a little bit of a lead. 
and they are so bad in closing moments. Like this team cannot close games. We've seen it all season long. They have a problem at the very end of games. Like they barely beat the Spurs. They had issues. There was the Pelican problem. Like there is always something with this team where they cannot close out basketball games. And it is so frustrating. The Bucks game is that the Bulls game earlier in the year. So many incidents where it's like, figure out how to close these games because yep. they had it. It was there. It well, was there. I mean, Durant made that baseline jumper to go up two. Then the Celtics came back and scored as Al Horford had an all-time game throwback the clock night for him. Like he was on the Hawks as an all-star Kyrie's three. And then it was just meltdown mode is oh frustrating. And you mentioned uh, the opportunities up five with about four and a half, five minutes to go. KD missed the shot, but Korn Dragic missed a, relatively open three they had a few opportunities at that kind of i don't say yeah. dagger because it's probably too early to say a dagger but to create some separation I, I was stunned they came back because when the celtics had that incredible beginning to the third quarter and the nets are down by 15 i didn't think that comeback was coming so maybe that's the one positive you try to take out of it that this was a game that it felt like a loss in many ways. You know, early in this game, they're turning the ball over at a ridiculous pace. At one point, I think it was seven minutes into the game, they had seven turnovers and four field goals made. It was ugly. Now, they were never buried in that point. I guess that was the one positive. They were still in the game, and Durant got off to an awful start. I think he was two for his first 11, and that's the thing that needs to really change. When you look at individual performances from game one, the obvious is Kevin Durant. The obvious is as physical as Boston was with him, and they're going to try to be physical again in game two and throughout this series. And the way it's officiated is going to be very important. We saw that in the Milwaukee series. Kevin Durant, even if they allow Boston to be that physical with him, you have to figure is going to be better than 37% from the field. I mean, that he's Kevin Durant. So you expect a bounce back from him. But I'll tell you one guy that concerns me, even though he made the one three that was given to him, was Bruce Brown. You know, Bruce Brown was a part of why this team got elevated after the James Harden trade. We've even joked part of the James Harden trade was unlocking Bruce Brown. This was a very normal pre-James Harden trade, Bruce Brown-like performance. And, and yeah. that's concerning because he was so good in the second half of the season. Yeah, he didn't get into the paint. He didn't have any of those little floaters. He did have the one three on the baseline, which was one of the Nets' better ball movement plays that set that up. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's karma, but uh, they put uh, earlier in the game in Boston his quotes that he had, and that even backfired him beyond even the play on the court. Like Al Horford played like he was the Hawks' starting center yeah. and was having an all-star. I mean, he destroyed the Nets, and Bruce Brown just was irrelevant in that game. And, and you know, most of the role players didn't do much. Seth Curry started out hot with nine points. Finished with nine points, and that was it. You know, Andre Drummond only getting the 17 minutes, going with Nick Claxton for the big minutes. Kess Edler, Edwards, really nothing much. I mean, the only one, uh, the only one real guy that, that kind of gave them a spark was Goran Dragic, and he helped that, you know, weather the storm a little bit. And he was able to score and get in one of the few nets that could get yep. into the paint. I mean, he, he was a bright spot. Patty Mills, nothing. I mean, it was, it was basically Goran. I thought Claxton played well. I thought he did a pretty good job on Jason Tatum. Look, Jason Tatum at times hits Durant-like shots in which you can defend them as well as you want. Yeah. Sometimes you tip your hat. I thought there were a few times where that was the case when Nick was defending Jason Tatum. But you mentioned Al Horford. 
Al Horford crushed them on the glass. He had more offensive rebounds than the entire Brooklyn net team combined. They gave way too many second chance opportunities, which might not well, look, we've seen that before. That's not a new story. And the size of the Celtics was just a major problem. The Nets are a, they're a very undersized team. And in certain matchups that gets exposed. And in a series like against the team like Boston, it sort of gets exposed. We see how good the Celtics are, how good defensively they are. Marcus Smart's had an incredible year. Plus, he made his shots. And Jason Tatum, look, Jason Tatum was the best player on the floor. I mean, you can give me all the offensive numbers you want from Kyrie Irving. And I know he was lights out. But defensively and offensively and getting his teammates involved, and he wasn't even that aggressive early in this game, and he almost played the entire game. I mean, Jason Tatum almost played 48 minutes. I thought he was pound for pound the best player on the floor. Yeah, he was awesome. And you're right that to start the game, he didn't have many points, but he did have the high assist number total. And that it brings me to a point where people are talking about the Nets. They go, oh, they're top heavy. The Nets don't get good performances from KD and Kyrie. They can't win. The same will be true for Boston. Like, I don't care what else happens with them. If Jason Tatum has a stinker, the Celtics are not going to win basketball games. So this whole notion that the Nets only have two stars and, and they don't have enough supporting cast, that's hogwash. Like they have enough good players to beat the Boston Celtics. It is doable. I wanted to say that Tatum was great. He was incredible offensively and defensively. You can see why he is becoming a true superstar in this league and just has the ability to become one of the all time great Celtics. Uh, he, he's awesome. Uh, I said this when we were recording an episode a few weeks back, how, how great I think he is, why he's not in this MVP discussion in this race. Uh, this, he is, he is a true talent and becoming like all NBA worthy and he's showcasing it. And he gave Durant fits and the nets are going to have to figure out a way to give Durant space. If they're putting him in the post more, I didn't see much of that. I would think they should go to that a little bit, but they got to figure out a way to get him going uh, and try to get switches off of him. So he can get a little more space and get Tatum away. They got to figure out a way to win game two. I mean, to, to come back to Brooklyn down 0-2 is going to be a pain in the ass situation. They got to find a way. And you mentioned it before. Come out first quarter. And this team has been notorious for slow starts. But come out first quarter Wednesday night and light this team on fire. I mean, they've, they've got to. Kevin Durant's got to come out red hot. And they got to come out and kind of send a message to this team. Uh, they got to find a way to steal game two. And if they do... In a lot of ways, it could erase what happened in game one. If you can somehow get the split in Boston, you come back Saturday night to Brooklyn feeling like, okay, ultimately we did our job up there. And the Celtics are not scared of the Nets. I don't think many teams are at this point, but they have now proven that they can beat the crap out of the Nets. We saw what happened in the first game with Kyrie and KD together, similar to this game, but not as excruciating. Celtics pulled away late, got the win by four or five. Earlier in the season in Barclays, but the Nets had nobody and they're being run by James Johnson. And the Celtics went up to by a score of 22 to one. I realize those weren't the same Nets that are out there. But the point is, if you have a track record now this season of just constantly beating up Kevin Durant and the Kyrie Irving Nets, they're, they're like, I see them with that edge of excitement to go out and prove people like, hey, we're going to beat the Nets. And I, I just... I'm hoping that the Nets can somehow have that, like you said before, that same feeling and lose a little of this arrogance, which is nonsense, to just go and go, we want to prove that we are the best and we can do this. Well, and, and just and just come out there and light the world on fire. I, I know there's examples. You know, the Celtics, obviously, in 2008, the Miami Heat, though they did lose their first time around. Sometimes you got to lose before you win. 
And it was one of those things we talked about last year after losing game seven to Milwaukee, even though this net team is so different. Like, yeah, Kevin Durant is still there. Kyrie Irving is still there. But a lot of the roster is completely different from a year ago. But sometimes you've got to lose. You have to take a step back before you take a step forward. The Bucs finally did that last year. And it feels like the Celtics are starting to do that now. Uh, this was a team that was kind of ahead of course a few years ago when they got to the Eastern Conference Finals when Kyrie Irving was hurt. They obviously lose Kyrie Irving. They have all those injuries last year in the first round of the playoffs. They feel like a team that has suffered enough and has learned. You know, Jalen Brown has gotten better. Marcus Smart's only gotten better. We talk about Tatum and the level he's playing at, that this is a team that's ready to take that next step. Um so it's scary as hell, man. I Look, it's very tough to be confident right now. And I think from afar, when you see the names Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, it's kind of like in a basic opinion to say, well, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are great. They'll figure it out. When you watch this team every day, this is a very difficult team to trust. This is a very difficult coaching staff to trust. This is a very difficult roster to trust because they haven't played that much together. Now, this is not a team that's really battle-tested together. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just being negative as a Net fan. I just have a tough time imagining that this team is going to be able to win four to the next six games against a team that's kind of battle-tested together in the Celtics and have been playing great basketball over the last three months. It's tough to trust this team. And the problem now, Evan, is that we have seen the Nets have so many bad losses over the last year and this year that in your mind as a fan, and I'm saying as a player, and I'm not saying now Durant could approach us and how he's going to feel, but as a fan, you just see the collapse versus Milwaukee. You saw game seven last year. You saw now what happened versus the Celtics. And these, these games, you just keep going through it. And now, like, I'll be honest, when the Nets get close to the final at the end of the game, if it's game two, I as a fan am expecting them to find a way yeah. to lose. And yeah. I, I, just I just expect that, Al Horford will get an offensive rebound. He'll kick it out, and Marcus Smart's going to hit a three. Or the Nets will come back, and Kyrie Irving will take a shot, and it'll hit off the back iron. Like, in your head now, you're getting to the point where it's, how are they going to find a way to lose? They're good enough now. We've seen, like, and we saw that comeback where they have a lot of talent where they can make runs, but the closing of the games, they're just, if it's a lack of consistency together, if it's a bad coaching staff, whatever it is, they find ways to lose big games all the time. That which is remarkable. I think we figured when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are on this team, they're going to be the ones closing teams out. They're going to be the ones winning these close games. And you're right. We're starting to kind of collect this catalog of brutal, brutal losses. Now, nationally, and even uh, with the show I did during the afternoon, the lead story about Boston, Brooklyn has been Kyrie Irving and him giving the middle finger to fans and whatnot. Uh, personally, as a fan, I don't really give a crap. I got to tell you, I, I have no problem with him giving it back to fans. My priority is you backing it up on the court. Like if this was affecting Kyrie, if he had a two for 19 game, I'd probably be ripping him saying, you know what? Stop worrying about going at it with fans and just play your game. But for the most part, he played well. I mean, he he's the one who had the superstar effort in this game, obviously much more so than Kevin Durant. I mean, he dropped 39. He made a ton of threes. He made every freaking free throw he needed to make. And I even thought defensively, for the most part, he played a really good game despite the, you know, Ole defense on Tatum on that spin move. So as long as he's playing well, 
I don't really care. He can go at it with the fans all he wants. But what'd you think about what was going on the other day with that? I, I have the same exact feelings. It, it, I, I, I couldn't believe how big of a deal it is. And then I start to think back to like when I was producing national shows and it's always the non-sports topics that are interesting to people because it's something that's relatable. That's beyond let's break down why the Celtics are getting offensive rebounds. It's relatable. You can see it. You saw the two fingers in the air. It's something we all have done before. It's something I've done to somebody, somebody, somebody someone's done to me, et cetera, the whole deal. And people get obsessed over it. But the key is if Kyrie Irving's going to go out and give double birds to the Celtics and drop 39, that's what it is. And let's not let, you know, the, this, it's about results of winning the game. And that's what matters. Like uh, the TNT crew said it. I think they said it so perfectly at best, like Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith. They're like, whatever, who cares? Like you, you, you your play lets you know what matters. You want to go tell F you back to Boston, beat them, send them home. Don't worry about it. Send them home. And that's all that will matter. But for people like getting uh, offended or weirded out, like you're going to TD garden center or whatever, at a Celtic game, I don't think, I think there's probably stuff you heard in that arena that if you feel uncomfortable with Kyrie Irving giving the middle finger, you probably shouldn't have been there to begin with because I don't think it was probably the most PC place in the world with language that was coming out of everybody's yeah. mouth. It's just, it's just part of the deal. Like, who cares? And, and I've, I always said this before I had kids, and now I'll say it with kids. You got to be your own parent. I mean, I, I actually took my five-year-old jet to net Celtics in Boston a month and a half ago. And yes, a lot of horrible things were said at Kyrie Irving. And I explained it to jet. Like I, I, you can be your own parent. We don't have to just be royally offended with everything around us. I said, yeah, they're chanting horrible things at Kyrie Irving. And here's why the fans are a bunch of bitches. They're upset. Kyrie left Boston. I didn't explain it that way, but you know what I mean? You just, you have a conversation with your kids about it. Um, and, and Kyrie's yeah. human. I mean, he's a human being and he's showcasing that. Why? And now am I saying it's, is it the best approach and is it getting under his skin? Yes. It's getting under Kyrie Irving's skin, but if he's going to go and drop 40 points every night, because that's all they're that matters. pissing him off. G- good. Like keep yelling at him. I had a that's... lot of Celtic fans that were, that I've, I've good Celtic friends and they were texting me. Like, I think we should start saying nice things to Kyrie on the court. <laughs> so he stops playing like, that. right, right. Look for you and I, and I think for anyone listening to this, it's just about winning. That's cool. all it's about. That That's it. You know, Craig was asking or saying this uh, to me and Net fans for Saturday, and he was actually being supportive in this, saying, hey, you guys got to give it back now to Boston. You guys got to have like a crazy atmosphere Saturday night. What I was explaining to him was, look, I think the atmosphere will be fine in Brooklyn. We've had some great playoff moments, but we don't hate anybody on the Celtics. Like, do we hate the logo? Sure. Do we hate some of the Celtic fans and their history? Absolutely. But other than him being a competitor, I don't hate Jason Tatum. I don't think you hate Marcus Smart. We respect these guys. We don't like them in terms of they're the competitor, but we can't match the atmosphere in Boston in terms of disliking a certain guy because we don't dislike certain guys on the Boston Celtics. All we can do in Brooklyn on Saturday night is cheer as loudly as we can for our team. But we have to just, it's not going to match what's happening in Boston because they clearly, yeah. for personal reasons, hate Kyrie Irving. He lied to them. He left them. They hate his guts. There's nobody on the Celtics we hate the guts of. No, we just have to show support for Kyrie Irving and, and, and having his back being loud 
and being vicious and doing what needs to help the Nets get a big win versus the Celtics. Like the, the, to me, the biggest net like uh, anger in recent playoffs was Ben Simmons, right? When Jared Dudley was doing that whole thing, like come, like come get me. That was the team that the Nets fans started to disdain because of Embiid's elbow to right. Jared Allen. Right. And of course, if the Nets were fortunate enough to see the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm sure that would be revved up as well. But there is a personal, it is very personal with Boston and Kyrie. Like at the Red Sox game today, they're chanting F Kyrie. I mean, they there is something there that is tangible. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean that Barclays won't be great Saturday night and net fans need to bring it and bring it hard. But I mean, I mean, there's time. I mean, we got it. We're only in game two. Like there's there's time for Marcus Smart or <laughs> there's time for something to happen that can, you know, piss us off, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Nah, you're right. We just have to excuse me. <coughs> we just got to be loud. And Barkley Center's had its moments. Uh, I think you brought up a great point. The Philadelphia series in 2019 was to me where Barkley Center got its soul. That was the first time where it really felt like a home court advantage. You know, the Jared Dudley, Jimmy Butler stuff, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Like, there was a a hatred. Unfortunately, we didn't have the horses to back it up. I mean, that's unfortunate. After they won game one in Philadelphia, we all know what happened. They had opportunities in game three and four that eventually got blown out in game five. So that, to me, is when Barkley Center found its soul. So we'll see what it's like Saturday night. I think it has a chance to be a lot better if this series is tied 1-1. Because I think what always scares me is if you lose game two, there will be more Boston fans in that building than if this series is tied at one. The secondary markets allowed that kind of stuff. Now, I can tell you right now, I was on SeatGeek 20 minutes ago. Well, before that, maybe an hour and 20 minutes ago. It is a red-hot ticket. I mean, the get-in price is almost $200. So it's a, it's a very hot ticket, but we'll see what this series looks like once we get to that point. Are you thinking at all about Ben Simmons? I, I know, look, could they have used him on the final possession? Absolutely. But I still can't take the Ben Simmons thing serious. And I see these reports of, oh, he's great shape, always oh, feeling good. He hasn't been in pain. He may play game four. He's still a theory to me. Until I see him play, until I see how he's used, until I see how effective he is, the whole Ben Simmons thing is, is just one giant theory. Well, I was totally thinking about him before game one. The game one loss happened, and I, all I've been thinking about is the, the 42 seconds of hell. So I haven't thought about it recently. I do think he's going to play. I think all these smoke signals that have been sent out from Woj and Shams, as, as, as we've seen gearing up to the moment, I do, I do believe he's going to play. Now, what is he? Who the hell knows? I don't think I think it would be impossible to predict Ben Simmons a year later after having one of the most epic, disastrous playoff moments for the Sixers. What does he come back? Who knows that? I couldn't tell you. But I think he does. And I think the upside's there where it's like, why not even try at least see what he can do? Maybe something clicks. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's really stupid. And then he doesn't play as many minutes. But I think he's going to play. And I think you at least give it a chance to see what it looks like. And he basically just becomes James Johnson 2.0, where he's bringing the ball up the court. He helps with rebounding, but he's a much better version of what James Johnson was. And you take your chances with 10 to 15 minutes a night. So what's your confidence level for game two uh, Wednesday night? Not good. <laughs> I mean, I'll just be honest. Like I, that, that, that game really gave me a sucker punch. Um, Maybe I'll have a little bit more of a feel on Wednesday when they get going, and I'll probably perk up a little bit. 
But right now, after feeling that like in my head, I just see the arena explode with excitement. And then I just see it continuing into that first quarter. And it's hard. I know net fans on Twitter will be like, you're so negative. This team's like, I'm sorry. It's hard to envision. It's just, I'm confident in the sense of like, I'm going to go in there and I believe in this team that they, that, that I'm, there's, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I don't know if I'm confident. Well, hold on. Before anybody says, oh, you guys are so negative. Let me ask this question. Last year, before they lost to Milwaukee, I totally get saying, hey, how can you be negative? You've got James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. It's a super team. They're unbeatable. You're just being negative. Fine. Okay. And we saw what happened. Team couldn't stay healthy. They blew a 2-0 lead. They came so close to going up 3-0. We all know what happened. Now we have this season, the James Harden debacle. They trade James Harden. Kyrie Irving's part-time. Kevin Durant gets hurt. Even healthy over the last few weeks of the season. They've won the games they needed to, but at times it wasn't overly impressive. They've lost brutal games. You mentioned the Milwaukee game. What have we seen? And I would ask this to anybody who says, oh, you're too negative. What have we seen that should give us positivity? Like, what have we seen from this team that should make you and I on a rainy Monday night after a kick in the ball loss say, oh, guys, we got it. I've seen enough of Steve Nash. I've seen enough of this team close teams out. Like, what the hell have we seen that should make us super freaking positive? I'm just, I'm just so I'm so goddamn curious to know what the hell we've seen as fans. Not what Kyrie Irving did in Cleveland. Not what Kevin Durant did four years ago with Steph Curry. Steph Curry. What, what have we seen as Net fans over the course of this season that should make us believe, oh, don't worry, they're going to win four or six games against the Celtics? I'd love to know. Yeah, I don't have an answer for you. That's why I, it's it's it, it feels like a repeat is coming and the crap is coming and you, and you can't, you can't stop it. And if they can, if they can grow up in this series, this is it. But until they do, it's just like you said, it's an, it's an impossible feeling to just believe in them. I just, I just can't see it. And I just start to get sad about it. And well, it it is, it is only game one. So I, there's such a, that was for a game one loss. It, it, it didn't feel like a game one loss. It felt like a game five loss. It did. It was just no, I it agree. Was not a game one loss. I agree. It felt far worse than a game one loss. Look, the narrative can change. You go win game two. I think our feeling would be very different going into game three in Brooklyn. I totally get that. But for anyone who says this is just unfortunate, they're matched up with the Celtics. You know, look at Philadelphia. If the Nets were matched up with Toronto, things would be so different. Well, that's their fault. The fact they are matched up with one of the two best teams in the Eastern Conference or three best teams in the Eastern Conference, however you want to rank it, is the fault of the Brooklyn Nets. It's their fault. It's why the regular season matters to a degree. Last year, despite everything that happened in the regular season, they got the two seed. And you know what their reward was? A crappy Celtic team in the first round. It was essentially a bye. And that's because we earned it. Because they were the two seed. Like, if anybody should be lamenting the situation they're in, it would be the Celtics because they actually played their asses off, got a two seed, and the reward was a seven seed. That's not really a seven seed. But in our case, it's our problem. And if we lose in the first round to a team that shouldn't be a first-round opponent, let that be a reminder that the regular season matters. 
And anybody, I know a lot of people have said like, oh, the Nets didn't take the regular season seriously and they put themselves in this position. I would argue that the Kyrie Irving thing happened. Kevin Durant got hurt and James Harden wanted out. This 44-win regular season wasn't the Nets taking this regular season lightly. And maybe there were games, as I alluded to before, where they could have closed better and had a little better attention to detail. But this regular season sucked for a lot of reasons that were out of their control, that had happened, injuries happened. Everything with Kyrie is something that we have never seen before with vaccine mandates coming into play in the season. And then James Harden saying, I don't want to deal with this. Yes. That's how we got to seven. Yes, to a degree. So, yes, Kyrie Irving and the vaccine mandate out of their control. Kevin Durant suffering a knee injury out of their control. The Harden quitting out of their control. I'm not saying that the Nets should have been a one, two, or three seed. But if they played better in the regular season, despite all of those things we mentioned, maybe they're the six seed. Maybe they're the five seed. Maybe now, obviously, being the six seed wouldn't be a big help because you're matched up with the Bucs. But you know what I mean? If you're a few games better, we saw how tight the Eastern Conference was. It could very well lead to a different situation. But you know what? It's not even the point anymore. This is the situation they're in. And right now, we need our hero. We need our hero, Kevin Durant, to come out and have a huge game, too. May not have to be like game five against the Bucs last year, but they need a better version of Kevin Durant in game two. And just eliminate the feelings of game one by winning game two. That's it. It's, you know, sometimes it's that simple. Go win game two. Do you, do you like in this case that you had to wait an extra day for Wednesday to get you like feeling a little better, feeling a little more calm, or do you wish it was tomorrow night? So Tuesday night? as a human being, I wish it was as soon as possible as a fan. If this was a video game, I'd say, let's play it immediately. But taking a step back, it, it helps Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to have an extra day. They are the older team. They are the veteran team. Sure. To help a guy like Al Horford out too, who was a beast in this game. So I'm not saying it only helps the nets, but I do think knowing the way this roster is built, knowing that Kyrie started to struggle once he became a full-time player, because all of a sudden the, the workload was higher. I do think basketball wise, they're better off having the extra day, but as a fan, as a competitor. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have rather have played 10 minutes later. Like, let's just go. I guess that's the beauty of baseball, you know, baseball, you play and then boom, you're back at it the next day. So I don't know, man, I don't know what the hell's going to happen, but do you feel better? Did this uh, it did. podcast service therapy? It did. And I avoided everything today from like TV and radio. I just could not deal with it. I used to do this when I was a kid. It was like after bad losses, I know for a lot of people, it's great. And I respect it that they go to the radio because it helps them be therapeutic. I'm like, let me put on something else. Let me put on music and get away from it. But this, yeah, it helped to uh, it helped to vent. It helped to say what has been kind of just running through my brain just nonstop over the last 26 hours. Well, hopefully the next time we chat, we're in a more jovial mood. That's the hope. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the uh, Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.